The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning into Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm John Janetta, and I bring you greetings from very cold Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and I will be one of your hosts uh, for the hour. Today, we're going to be talking about organizational cultures. Are they intransigent, intransigent or changeable? And to help us have this conversation, we have with us today my co-host, Linda Schub, who's a founder and senior consultant with Organizational Effectiveness Consultants in San Diego, California. And she told me she just um, came in from doing some gardening, so I'm, I'm assuming it's not quite as cold there as it is here. And our special, very special guest, Joan Moorhead, who's the Vice President of Business Enterprise Transition to Success at Matrix Human Services in Detroit, Michigan. So we invite each of you and our listening audience to join in on our conversation by calling 1-866-472-5790. Uh, you can also email us by clicking on the email host button on our show's landing page, which is right under the bookmark show link. So thank you again so much for joining our show today, jo- Joan. Thank you, John. It's my pleasure. Um, you know, we, we, we posted a brief description of who you are on the website, but um, you know, they limit me to about a thousand characters. So uh, maybe it would be helpful to start off by just having you share a little bit more about who you are and how you started work in the nonprofit sector and sort of what got you to where you are today. Sure. Thank you. Uh, a, th- a thousand characters pro- is probably double what you need, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Um, I actually have been in the not-for-profit part of organizations uh, for over 25 years, but recently went to the not-for-profit or the non-profit segment um, where services are being delivered to um, individuals. So I started with a very large health insurance organization and worked there and enjoyed um, that environment and then went on to some independent work which got me into the human services portion of the not-for-profit. And uh, it was a phone call. Somebody heard that uh, I had some time availability and said, hey, would you come over and help us out? So I kind of dove into the deep end of the pool, John, um, saying, yes, I'll I'll be happy to. That was at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I attended my first meeting for uh, their organization at 1 o'clock that afternoon, so uh, oh. kind of <laughs> both feet in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> um, so, and what we're doing right now is uh, the organization I'm helping out is a 107 year old service agency, and they're introducing their first product to the marketplace. So, um, having the business background was really helpful uh, for us to be able to work together and just find out practically how do you, you know, how do you deliver something that can help people at an individual level but has national or p- perhaps worldwide implications. I know that sounds so exciting. Um, it and, does. 
you know, since our show is all about leadership, uh, Joan, another question I always like to ask our guests early on is, because um, I think it really does help our listeners get, um, get to know you a little bit better. Um, tell us about someone that you see as a best example of a high-impact leader and why. Hmm. So, you know, this, you can approach this from a lot of different angles, and, and I'm assuming, John, you're talking about maybe somebody in current culture, not someone who the textbooks write about, right? I think it could be anybody. Okay. Um, so I think current culture, I, I take a look at people that create opportunities for others as um, what I would call my modern-day examples or, or models of leadership. And, um, you know, I see Mary Kay Ash is one of those folks. Um, a long time ago, she started up an organization, and it was based on a product that she had to share. But it's not what she did, it's the how she did it that I think yeah. is so dynamic. Um, she rewarded people treated them with respect and dignity. She has her, um, you know, her three tenants are um, God, family, work. And so she really was grounded and knew what she was about, which then helped her allow other people to be who they're about. And I think even as I look in the textbooks and in the history books, um, other people that I would hold up in that same kind of category and regard probably had that same sense of self so -hmm. that they could help others and and just let people be who they are and accept them how they come to the table. And you know what's interesting? Can I add something to that? The more and more nonprofits I work with, the more I see that they're doing capacity building amongst their partners, just like the Mary Kay organization did for women way back when as business owners and helping them get started. So, I, I think that that's one of the commonalities of working in these sectors is not just building your own organization, but more beyond yourself. Oh, that's, a, that's a really uh, great observation, Linda. Um, you know, I suppose from the nonprofit sector, you're really all about trying to change the community. So if what you do by yourself changes a life, that's great, but ultimately you got to change a community. And if you, if you're not engaging everybody in that process, it's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you know what I, I, I thought was also interesting about how your selection of Mary Kay Ash, um, Joan, is that um, what you talked about her was how her strategy really aligned with what she believed culturally, and that's what we really want to talk about today, right? Absolutely. And and um, the other thing that she talked about, and which is part of the culture, is how do you get leverage? You know, she looked at systems early on. It wasn't just about her, um, as you and Linda both commented. It, it's about how do you have the largest impact to the greatest number of people in a positive way as you're going about your business, your life, um, and your day. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you've had the opportunity to lead many complex uh, organizational change initiatives I know it's a topic you're really passionate about. I'm I'm assuming, Linda, you probably work a lot in this realm as well with your company's focus on organizational effectiveness and the consulting that you do. I'm I'm fairly well um, uh, aware of it, but um, I thought it might be helpful before we dive too deeply into the topic just to spend some time or sort of sort of set the table, if you will, uh, just to make sure we're sort of all understanding the the terms in the same way, uh, just to talk. W- about organizational culture, what is it? Linda, do you want to go first on that? Um, Let me let you go first, Joan, real quick, because someone just stopped in and it's noisy here, and then I'll answer in about two minutes. Okay, great. Thanks. 
Well, John, to, to answer that question kind of with a, a visual, if you will, uh, some of the organizational uh, changes I've been part of have been inside of organizations that have had multiple locations. And I think for the listeners and those um, that have experienced this, when you go from one building to another, it doesn't matter if they're separated by a street, a city, a, a state, a country, each building has a different feel when um, you go into it. And I remember one organization, we had a physical facility that was in a city, a large city, and then another one that was in a probably a mid-sized city, and then another one that was in the country. And when you walked into each of those facilities, uh, you could have probably gone in blindfold and you could have told what facility you were in because the energy is just totally different in the the uh, the big city um, building, it was um, very, you know, everybody moved fast. It was it was kind of high energy. You got the sense that there was, you know, maybe a little more stress in the day than what a lot of people would have uh, wanted. Um, or in, in the other facilities, the medium-sized city, you know, people were about doing business and um, had, had a little bit different pace. They kind of knew each other a little bit better. Um, you saw more interaction in the in-between spaces. So the hallways and, and the, the atriums and things of that nature. And then in the, um, the country uh, facility, people knew each other pretty intimately. They were all about getting the business done, but they wanted to do it in a way that was going to honor those relationships um, at a little bit deeper level perhaps. So I, I think culture is something that you can definitely feel. And once you talk to a couple people in, within the organization, and the different locations, um, you can get a sense for how they manage their day. Yeah, and you know, I have people in the same organization, even in the same functions, when they're large organizations, that will say, gee, my frontline supervisor doesn't do that, or my frontline supervisor doesn't hold a staff meeting so I know what's going on. And that makes a big impact um, on the culture. So the the culture is something that you see and feel. Absolutely. And it's comprised of what sort of how we treat one another, but what what else is it? Well, I think it, when you when you say it's something you can see, you know, it's in how people approach uh, meetings. Are they on time? Um, are they formal or informal, the discussions? Are they prepared in advance for the meeting? How do they share their presentations or their materials? Are they, they well thought through and final before they get to the table? Or um, are they perhaps something that's a, a little bit more um, posed for input from others? So I think you can see it in the, in the communications. You can see it in how people manage the day. You can see it in their documentation of um, their project and processes, on how they regard time. I think that's, that's a huge cultural indicator. And um, one of the biggest ones, I think, John, that, that you can see, and you can see it in a lot of different ways, is how do they treat others when they make a mistake? You know, it's great. It, it's really easy to treat people well when they're performing, they're doing what's expected, and they're advancing the organization. But in fast-moving companies, you know, there, there are mistakes that are made. Otherwise, 
um, you know, people aren't learning, really. Uh, the trick is not to make the same mistake twice, right? But how you treat people as, they, as those mistakes occur um, to do a corrective action, I think, is one of the biggest cultural indicators that I've seen. I came back. You know, it's, it's interesting that um, in our agency we have um, one of the things people will say they like best about our organization is we have an open culture and um, where, um, you know, people feel valued and respected and there's good teamwork and um, all those sorts of things. Of course, it does vary by location, just like you were mentioning. And there's one particular location that um, almost everyone will agree who has any familiarity with it, that it seems, it feels more positive than any other. And so we wonder sometimes, what is it that makes that place sort of special compared to others? And, and what could we, is there a way we could figure out what it is so that we could make sure it feels that way everywhere you go because it would be so awesome if that were the case? And I know one of the things that they do, because they, they, I've asked them, why do you think it is? And what they tell me is they think, they think a lot of it has to do with the fact that every Monday morning at 9 o'clock they have what they call check-in. And everyone gets together in this large conference room and they sit, um, uh, sit around in a large circle and everyone goes around and they tell how they're feeling. They talk about what they did over the weekend. They talk about what their plans are for the week and who they're going to go to for help and those sorts of things. Hmm. And, you know, you have, was... um, you have different programs. You have some people doing therapy. You have some people running a donation center. You have some people providing emergency assistance. You have some people doing domestic abuse advocacy and outreach and management and front desk and case management. You have all these different functions, different programs, people reporting to different people, but they all come together regardless of where they are and they share that information. And they really think that that has helped to create that kind of really positive teamwork-oriented culture. You know, this is Linda and I dropped off before, accidentally hit the wrong button. And that's pretty much the point that I was making, um, which was, I don't know how long I spoke before I realized I was off. But in organizations, even in the same department, if different supervisors don't encourage that open communication, and I tend to call them huddle, like just huddle. It's a 10-minute connection, check in exactly what you said, don't get too comfortable. But when the managers and supervisors aren't consistent in that, you can literally feel and sense the cultural differences in the different departments. Those get more information and feel more connected, in my experience, are likely to share more information. And That's a great point, um, We're going to um, take a really quick um, uh, commercial break, and when we get back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, well, why does it matter uh, that we pay attention to organizational culture, and then uh, have Joan maybe share some of her um, specific experiences doing that work. So uh, please stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training. 
coaching and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back. I'm John Janetta, and along with my co-host, Linda Shub, I want to thank you for joining us today. If you're just tuning in, you're in for a real treat. We've been talking to Joan Moorhead with Matrix Human Services in Detroit, Michigan, about organizational culture. And before we went to the break, we were really um, spending um, – most of our, our time talking about what organizational culture is, and honestly, we could probably spend the whole hour just doing that because it is quite complex, but assuming that we all sort of get it, I think maybe we can move on now and talk about, you know, why does it matter? So if, if, if we understand what organizational culture is, why does it even matter? Joan, what's your thought on that? Well, John, I saw something um, a couple days ago, and I think this really illustrates the why it matters well. It was a conversation between a CFO and a CEO. So you can imagine they have, you know, a little bit different perspectives on what's important um, in the organization and, and how do you get the company to perform and, and what performance measures really matter. And the CFO says to the CEO, looking at the spreadsheet, the balance sheet, you know, at their training budget, he said, you know, it's a lot of money. What if we develop people and they leave? And the CEO looked at the CFO and he said, exactly. What if we don't develop them and they stay? <laughs> That's very good. And yeah. I just I just thought that was really poignant because it talks a little bit about um, you know what you were saying, John, with your open culture. You know um, that people start off after the weekend talking about things that really honor the human element. 
You know, we're human beings, not human doings. And I think we forget about that sometimes, that, that we have to leave some space for that interaction, for that development, for the things that you maybe can't measure bottom line, but eventually, if you don't do them, it will affect the bottom line. And it's just, it's just a little bit hard to, to put it tangibly, but I think organizations are getting better and better all the time about measuring uh, those things that help people engage in the organizational culture, the organizational processes, and really help to um, develop the positive things that that customers come back for, because that's really what it's all about. Whoever we're serving, we want to make sure that they have a great experience as a result of their interactions with us. And that it's consistent no matter where in the organization they're going or if you have many locations or what have you, that it's not going to be different when you go from one place to the other. That's right. And that consistency is, is critical because then if you don't have that, then you have you know subcultures and, and different cultures. And you could have 20 positive experiences and that first negative one, if it's bad enough, it will color everything that uh, your history tells you was positive. You know, I have three resources that I use when I try to measure that human factor and the human engagement. Would it be helpful to mention those? Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, one of them is the um, the uh, balance scorecard for human resources, which takes a look at how do you measure all of these things, um, and there is that goes along with the Kaplan and Norton balance scorecard for the whole organization. Then there, if you um, uh, internet search um, engagement metrics, that is another term that frequently holds a third score called the net promoter score, and we're just now implementing this, but it answers the question of would you refer and promote and say positive things about this company, department, program, etc., and then you come up with the percentage or the ratio and it becomes a net promoter score, which tells you how engaged people are to their organization. To the, the, that the customers are. Well, or employees, employees as well. Too. Yeah, because yeah. how many employees in the public and nonprofit sectors go home and say, oh, I don't want to tell you who I work for? You know, sometimes that's not seen as important as it is. But if the organization develops the culture where it's proud, they're proud to work there, they tend to say positive things. Well, you know, it's um, when we wrote the, the show description for today's episode, uh, um, we, we talked about Peter Drucker's, well, the quote that's attributed, often attributed to Peter Drucker, some people say he didn't actually say it, he just sort of made it famous, and that is, culture eats strategy for lunch. And some people have sort of sort of bemoaned that because they say it kind of people misinterpret it. They think that what Peter Strucker or whoever the original person who said it, what they were trying to say was that culture is more important than strategy. 
but really what more people are saying now is that what that really intended to say was that we we tend to focus on strategy and we don't focus on the culture, but the culture is how you're going to get the strategy done. So if you don't focus on it, then all the planning around strategy is really wasted time. Is that sort of your experience, Joan? Yeah, I think, um, and you know, when I saw the description from today, I, I thought, you know, culture um, when culture is hungry, it doesn't just care about lunch. It cares about breakfast and dinner, too. <laughs> so it's kind of like a hungry child, right? If you ignore uh-huh. it long enough, it, it'll just scream all the time. Um, and I think it does become then a distraction if you don't pay attention to it. It is part of the equation. It's it's not more important and um, more relevant. It's kind of like asking the question, well, what's more important, having customers or making money? You have to have... Um, balance within those, and sometimes the balance is not equal balance either. You know, there are certain times, and I, I remember um, working for an organization. My previous organization was actually four healthcare uh, companies that combined into a single organization, and uh, those four segments then, some of them required more attention at the front end than others, and so it wasn't balanced how we approached it. It, you know, you you took care of the fires first, uh, but when all was said and done, that, that integration process is very disruptive, and I think the smart leaders, and I don't mean smart from um, book smart, I mean, you know, the ones that are paying attention to what's happening day to day and are in touch with the people who matter, the customers, the, um, the other stakeholders, the employees, those leaders pay attention to to what's happening real time so that they can make those adjustments. And that then becomes part of the culture as well, that whole feedback loop, that openness about saying, how are we doing now? Because things change at such a rapid pace. And they take that disruption from integration and they make it a positive, no matter how negative it is, they turn it into a positive by saying, well, what can we learn about this, about ourselves, about what we can do better? Now, um, you know, the, the question that we asked for this episode about is, are, are cultures intransigent or are they changeable? We, we sort of answered that question that, yes, they are. I'm not sure how many of us have ever had experience with either leading that kind of a change or even experiencing it, being somewhere where the culture was one way that everyone could pretty much see, it just wasn't working. Or maybe we thought it was fine, but someone came along and said, no, I think it would be better if we did, if we, we did things this way and, start, and, and started shifting or trying to shift everybody in a different way. I'm not sure how many people have even had experience being in an organization that was able to do that. But I know that you've had that experience, Joan. I think it'd be really interesting to hear, how do you do it? It just seems so um, complex and um, difficult to even envision. How do you get a whole bunch of people all marching in the same direction in the same way when maybe that's not how they've been ever done it before? Yeah, that's uh, you know that can it sounds like a daunting d- task, doesn't it, John? Absolutely. Yeah, um, it, it absolutely has to start from the top. If the people at the top or the person at the top um, doesn't believe in it, doesn't think that change is necessary, then it's not going to happen. Um, and um, the organization I was speaking about, uh, we had a CEO change, um, and then we had an interim CEO. The organization had lost, you know, about $60 million over a couple of years. They got capital infusion. It just wasn't turning around. And um, the, the commentary that I made at the time was, you know, the person that leads you th- to the change 
is not necessarily the person that can lead you through the change because you have to have people accept accountability for those tough decisions. And if the tough decisions are unpopular, which many of them are, um, they probably can't be the face of the person leading the organization forward. So it takes some intuitive intelligence for an organization to say, hey, listen, we know that this is time limited for this particular leadership set, um, and we've designed it that way. So I think you have to be intentful. Uh, But I remember a conversation that happened before, actually I think it happened during an executive team meeting. There were about 18 people around the table, and um, we had decided as an organization to, to make some change that was low-hanging fruit. So the low-hanging fruit, our barriers or um, indicators were, you know, was it easy to do quickly? Was it positive for the majority of the people that would be involved? And were there any costs associated with it? And so, um, and so you know, one of the things we decided to do, and it was a huge debate, of maybe three or four months was to implement Jean's Day on Friday. And um, we did it, and the first Friday um, after the decision was actually an executive staff meeting. And so it was really interesting to see how people came dressed to that meeting. And the um, interim CEO came dressed like he normally would in his business attire, not a suit and tie, but, you know, dressy. And um, the incoming CEO wore jeans. And he wore a shirt with the company logo on it. And it was obviously a shirt that hadn't been replaced in a while. It was a little bit worn, a golf shirt, if I'm remembering correctly. And um, and so you have the, this, these two very different interpretations of, you know, what Jeans Day meant to the organization. So the interim CEO looked at the incoming CEO and he said, huh, I don't really think it's appropriate for the president and CEO to be wearing jeans to work. And the new, the incoming CEO said, well, it's jeans day. (laughs) 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 I'm getting the cue that it's time to take a commercial break. But um, uh, when we get back, John, we'll continue um, hearing about some of your experiences because I think it's uh, really fascinating and it really helps to, I think, shine a light on what it is that we're talking about today. So please stay tuned. We'll We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. 
And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. Health costs companies a lot more than just benefits, premiums, and health plans. Think about the underlying cost with not having healthy employees in the program investing in the future. Creating Wealth Through Health. Host Susan Doherty will discuss employee wellness programs, how staying healthy affects the bottom line, and how to get your team engaged in better health as a way of life. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back. Once again, I'm John Janetta, and along with my co-host, Linda Schub, I want to thank you for joining us today. We've been talking to Joan Moorhead with Matrix Human Services in Detroit, Michigan, about organizational culture. It's been a fascinating conversation so far, Joan. And um, just before we went to the break, you were starting to share some of your um, hands-on experiences with uh, how organizational cultures can be changed. So I'd, I want to keep that conversation going. Excellent. Thanks so much, John. Yeah, we talked about Jeans Day a little bit before the break, and, um, you know, the key to that is inclusion. If if you've got a, a team of people, you need to make sure that everybody feels like they're part of whatever it is that you're doing or wanting to do. Um, and at first, um, folks' trust levels could be really low, so you have to build that trust over time, and you build the trust by saying what you're going to do, uh, doing it, and then checking back in with folks to make sure that they know that you've done it. So the communications uh, were really, really critical in the organization. It's first the decisions, then including people, and then making sure that your communications are really clear. So I would come back, and, and if we said, geez, people wanted us to take a look at Jean's Day, we would say, you know, the decision on Jean's Day has been made, and we'll every Friday have Jean's Day in the organization. And what we would say is, because you asked us, we took a look at this. And so it honored the people that, you know, probably a good percentage of the organization. Um, and I use that one little example just because it's easy, but with the CEO participating in Jeans Day, and then we made sure we got some pictures on some subsequent Jeans Days um, to to reinforce to people that, yeah, we're really serious about this. This is a part of who we're becoming and, and who we're going to be in the, the future. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we had, and, and you can imagine this, we've all experienced it, is to get, quote-unquote, leaders, different levels of leadership, um, to let go of control. You know, it's it's been kind of the the model or was kind of the model for the leaders to be the people that had to know pe- things 
and give direction. And if they asked questions, they were considered weak. And so we had to get them to let go of that control and include other people in the conversations. Mm-hmm. And that we that was just fascinating because we did focus groups, we did uh, large team meetings, we did individual meetings. I mean, I, I even hired a band for one of the all employee meetings, and we did had competitions during lunchtime where we each teams that were formed uh, through the day had to come up with cheers for the organization, and, and people had a blast doing it. We had pom poms. We had, I mean, the whole thing. Uh, so, so that whole inclusion is, is a really big part of it. You know, um, you had talked before about, um, from the leadership perspective, that you have to set the tone, you have to say what you want to do, you have to follow through, you have to do it. Um, and you have to, I think, you, I don't know that you necessarily use these words, but essentially you have to understand that people are watching you. So if, if you're saying one thing and doing another, it's going to undercut your efforts. Absolutely. Is that correct? And, and do, do you think that um, most leaders are aware of the degree to which they're observed? No, and it's funny you say that because I can recall an incident where it was a conversation that was happening with a group of people after a leadership meeting. So we had a couple hundred people um, assembled. And, you know, a lot of the conversation that happens after the meeting and before the meeting, that networking piece, is where the meaningful conversations happen, and one of the senior leaders in the company made a comment, and it was probably not a really well-thought-through comment, but it wasn't damaging. I had someone come up to me afterwards and say, you know, that it really impacted them in a, in a not positive way, and it, um, it wasn't really negative, but they said just it just didn't feel right. And so I went and talked to the leader that made the comment, and he said, I don't see the big deal. It, uh, you know, I didn't mean anything by it. I said, you know, you just have to remember that you're at a very high level in the organization. And your words have different weight than uh, Mm -hmm. other people's words do. And with a colleague, that weight is different. With someone that reports to you, it's different. With someone that doesn't know you, it's, it's even more different. And you could whisper from a valley and someone would hear you clearer than someone at a lower level in the organization shouting from the mountaintops. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he said, yeah, I never looked at it that way before. I guess I just look at me as me, not as, you know, someone who has this voice. Well, and, and you know, as part of that, too, it seems like, and it, it probably depends, too, on the size of the organization, but it seems like at a certain point in, the si- in, in an organization, the leaders can oftentimes be pretty isolated from those employees who are really on the front line working every day most closely to the people that you're serving, whether it's customers or clients or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so um, do you think it's helpful for leaders to have ways that they're interacting with those frontline staff authentically to just kind of get that feedback? Because that's where you'll hear the comment about, oh, I noticed you weren't parked where you usually park or... Um, I noticed how you um, opened the door for the the senior lady who was coming out of the, our senior center program. You know, you, you get feedback from people that can be really um, kind of eye-opening about, wow, people really watch everything I'm doing, or they, they really noticed this little thing that I didn't really think was that big of a deal, but they really picked up on it. And so you kind of get to know what you should be doing more of and maybe less of because 
you're sort of keeping that information flow going and not waiting for it to be filtered through some sort of official employee engagement survey or uh, somebody who's a middle manager telling you that information indirectly. I think that's absolutely accurate. I have a great colleague and friend who's the CEO of a state agency here in San Diego, and he'll wander down into, like, the employee lunchroom every 10 days or so and sit and have his lunch there and just hear the conversation and join the tables, and it creates a relationship when then if there's something off, they can always call up and say, hey, you mentioned to keep in touch and that we're the eyes and the ears and I saw something happening that didn't seem right um, and I didn't know who to tell. You know, it opens up a lot of communication doors. Yeah, I, I think it um, helps build that rapport with people uh, when, it's, when it's real, you know, when people can sit down and have lunch together, when they can be on projects together. And then it doesn't make the observations feel like tattling. It doesn't make the, the terms of ethics so um, hard line. It just becomes a, a very natural conversation, and people can ask questions differently. So if you and I worked together, John, and you were my leader, and I had a relationship with you, and I saw something that wasn't quite right or didn't feel right or I wanted to challenge a decision, I could come up and ask you a question and say, hey, John, you know, I know we decided to go in this direction, but I'm not sure I really understand that. And with my current understanding, I'm not sure I really can agree with it and support it, and I'd like to get to a better place so that we can move forward. And you can have those real conversations without having it be a threat. Well, also, notice the way you're saying that. You're saying it with true inquiry and not you're not really advocating you're a bad guy or being blameful because I don't understand this. You're giving all the benefit of the doubt, and that would be an organization whose culture would allow people to do that without feeling blamed and accusatory. So they would have had a track record of success and appreciation. Absolutely. So you had talked before about how getting staff buy-in is important, and let's assume once you're able to get that. And I, I, I think we all kind of know that when getting staff buy-in isn't like a mat. You don't wave a magic wand and suddenly everybody's on board. You have your early adopters. You know, you have people come on at different times, right? Right. But let's say once you you get kind of people in. in for the most part, you got pretty much everybody saying, yeah, let's, this is really important. Let's do it. What do I do? How do I do it? But, so once you have that process kind of going, then how do you implement the change so it occurs evenly at all levels of the organization? Or is that even possible? Well, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think a perfect world possibility of having it be even um, would exist in any size organization. However, I think the key to having people roll it out over time and be consistent is to engage people with their passion. So if Linda loves communicating, we get her involved in the communication. If, John, you love measuring, we get you involved in the measurements. And regardless of your job title, you kind of cross-pollinate responsibilities so that people have a, a broader view on how they can help the organization to move forward. Does that make sense at all? It makes a lot of sense because one of the things I hear you saying is leverage their strengths. And when an organization, um, I know a lot of people are caught up in the 
strength finders, and I totally value that instrument and use it a lot. And um, unless you then carry it into the philosophy of what work assignments um, are given and um, modified and giving people areas where they can be successful because they bring their inherent and developed skills so they're working off their strengths, that's also an indication of the culture. Yeah, I think the the only uh, I'm thinking of myself as a listener now, listening to this conversation. The only deflating aspect of the answer is that I was hoping to hear that there could be some sort of magic approach that would suddenly get everybody on board. But what I'm hearing instead is that there really isn't anything like that. You, what you have to do is figure out almost individual by individual what it's going to take. How do you best engage them based on their strengths, based on how you know they can contribute, based on what you know that they're interested in, that's really going to get them um, on board and really, because um, sometimes, sometimes what we're talking about is really changing habits. It's changing how we view um, the world. It's how we interact. And uh, those aren't easy changes to make in the best of conditions, especially um, now we're talking about an organization um, that may have many, 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 many different people with all different kinds of personalities. And um, it, it's just, um, it's tough work. It is. And I think uh, to, to answer your question maybe a little bit more clearly, I think you do have to have a structured approach. And, and I'll share one of those um, that I've seen work. But you have to allow space for the individualization of people to um, come on board. So, you know, what you're doing is not negotiable. How you get there can be a little bit flexible, depending on people's interests, their their talents and strengths, um, perhaps even their network of others who that they who they know that they can bring along with them. And and does aligning incentives help or not? I know um, you know Daniel Pink and his latest book. Well, not, I guess he has another book out now, but a book that he'd written previously called Drive. He says the research shows that for, for work that really requ- requires any level of sort of cognitive advanced thinking, well, anything really beyond just rote mechanical work, um, incentives don't tend to drive a performance to actually make it worse. That what people really need is um, mastery, authenticity, and um, I can't remember the other, but you know, it's not it's not about money, and, and maybe uh, we can talk about that when we get back because I just got the cue. We need to go to a break, so please stay tuned. Stay tuned, and when we return, yeah. we'll um, hear from Joan about that specific example she has and any final words of advice. So pl- um, we'll be right back with more on leadership matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. 
The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Welcome back. Once more, I am your host, John Janetta, bringing you greetings from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and along with my co-host, Linda Schub from Organizational Effectiveness Consultants in San Diego, California. I want to thank you for joining Leadership Matters today. We have been having the most interesting conversation with Joan Moorhead, who is an organizational culture guru extraordinaire and vice president of business enterprise transition to success at Matrix Human Services in Detroit, Michigan. So, Jean, before, Joan, before we went to the break, you had mentioned you were going to tell us about a particular um, process or project uh, change initiative tool that you use, and I think it would be interesting to hear about that before we end our show for the day. Okay. Thank you, John. So the um, the thing that I'm thinking about is actually going on at Matrix right now, and um, it is it's called Transition to Success. It is an approach for addressing people with needs, uh, people living typically at or below the poverty level, and it is a structured approach. We have a training process that we have developed around this, and uh, we're sharing it with other organizations. Um, both in Michigan and um, across the country. And the one thing that is really important is to make sure that the employees inside the organization are as familiar with the process and what's happening as what you're sharing outside. So we began training people outside the organization, and the question that came up was, geez, what is transition to success? Because we hadn't had a chance to share it with you know, the few hundred folks that were inside the organization. So we're backing up and we're taking another look at it and saying, okay, who needs to be trained first in what this is? And as we've been talking to people, it's it's just fascinating because, John, you were talking about the, the balance between a structured approach and individualization of um, allowing people to, to engage and use their talents and their strengths. And those are two key elements as they figure out what that structured approach is and they see how it relates to them individually in their roles, not just as an employee, but in their roles in the community because we're, we're whole people. We don't just, we're not just workers. Uh, we're not bots. We're not human bots. We're, we're human beings. And so 
as we go outside of the work environment, we have relationships with people in our families and friends and in the community at large. And so as people are going through the transition to success process to see when you help somebody, you don't just hand them a piece of information and walk away. You really kind of embrace the whole process of making sure that they understand it, making sure that they can repeat the success that they're having through finding new resources, through discovery. And as people see that systematic approach, they can individualize it. And that's kind of where the magic happens. And then you've got these two worlds coming together where the person sees the value that they bring in the day, not just to work. I think that's that's where I've seen this really light people's lives. Mm-hmm. So, so in your experience then with that sort of organizational cultural change, you you get this change process going, you achieve that success, then is there is there something that leaders need to know that would be important about how you have to continue to nurture it to maintain it? I mean, do you see that mistake where people would invest a lot of time and money in getting some sort of organizational effort going, change effort going around culture, they get some progress, and then they move on to another important thing and don't continue to maintain or nurture what they just started? Does it, does it regress? Or once it gets going, does it tend to self, self um, sort of reinforce and maintain? Well, that, that's a really great question, John, because um, you've got employees changing all the time, people changing, um, you know, new people coming in, um, people exiting the organization, people changing their roles. So the reinforcement is really critical. And the one thing that um, we did in one of the organizations I worked with was the, the name badge cards. We had the vision and mission of the organization actually printed on the back of their photos. So um, anytime we made decisions, you would see, and this is how you can tell visibly when culture is taking, cultural change is taking a good direction, a positive turn, is when people go back to those guiding principles or those stable posts and they can actually challenge each other and say, well, geez, Linda, you know, I hear you talking about that, but I look on, you know, our, our, our values here and it seems to me that that's not fair to everybody involved. And, and you can have you can have those reference points, and so I do think it needs reinforcement over time, and it can't be just one dimensional. You can't just put it in a newsletter. You can't just say it in a meeting. You can't just visualize, you know, put it with motivational sayings on the wall. It has to be an integrated approach where, no matter where you go, it just still feels like the positive culture that you're working to continually build and reinforce. And then you have to ask yourself the question. What next? You're never done. And yeah. I think that's right. where people make the mistake is they think they've crossed the finish line. And um, Linda referenced some, you know, marathon versus um, uh, maybe sprinters or maybe, you know, one-shot um, activity. And this is really a marathon. It's something that you're always training for, something that you're always doing, and you're, you're always allowing the opportunity for that growth and expansion. Um, Linda, do you have any final questions or thoughts that you want to share before we wrap up the show today? A couple quick things to reinforce, and I think that's the importance of symbols, language, and actions. We talked about people, you know, executives that can go sit in the employee cafeteria. Um, We've talked about measuring things. The symbolic 
part of things is even evident as we look in our nonprofits today where people are, the leaders are called CEOs, CFOs instead of executive director. And those, we've changed the language and that also demonstrates how, uh, how we manage cultural change that tends to take three to four years if you've got the same leader in place. Yeah. And I'll just end on that note. How about you, Joan? Any final tips or words of advice? You know, I think it just comes down to making sure the decisions are um, supported at the top, that the actions are understood, that you can make adjustments along the way um, so that you can repeat what's happening. And then finally, I would say, you know, don't forget to enjoy the ride. When people see other people that look like they're having fun doing what they're doing, you attract a lot more interest, activity, customers, stakeholders, and uh, folks just want to be part of the team when they see that you're actually enjoying what you're doing. So don't forget to have fun in the mix. Great advice. Thank you so much, Joan, for being with us today. Really, it was a great, great, great show. And and thank you, too, uh, Linda, for being my co-host. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. Please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.